Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. So we've been doing a series called DNA, the spiritual identity of Grace Harvest Church. We're talking about who we are. And this week we're going to talk about the fact that Grace Harvest Church is a Holy Spirit welcoming church. Now before I get into the message, I just want to congratulate you. Take, take your right hand and just kind of pat your shoulder right now. Because you made it here on Daylight Savings Time Day. Right? And I don't know about you, I actually posted, I, I don't rant on Facebook, I just want to say if you clocks forward and being on it. How many of you appreciate your phones? It just does it for you, huh? Gosh, anyway, so that's my little rant. You're welcome. Okay. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about the fact, last week, Pastor Raul shared a message on the idea that we're a Holy Spirit welcoming church, and I'm going to continue on that theme because I think that's one of those ideas, one of those attributes or distinctives about our church that's, that bears repeating, and we need to talk about it, talk about the fact that we really believe that the Holy Spirit is powerful, actively at work still changing lives, still performing miracles, still healing sick people, still distributing gifts among us so we can build each other up, that the Holy Spirit is present in the church, active in the church, speaking in the church, and, um, and, and we're going to look at that today. We're going to continue that theme. And uh, I want to start out with a story by a guy named Kyle Eidelman. This is in a book he wrote called Not a Fan, and, and he says this, when I started a new church in Los Angeles County, California, I found that I was overwhelmed with pressure and stress. I was working more than 70 hours a week. And by the way, if you think that's commendable, let me tell you what the Bible calls it, sin. Okay, that's just a side note. The scripture makes it clear that we're created not only for work, but we're created for rest. And if we do one at the expense of, other, of the other, you know what happens to us? We break down. All of creation breaks down. So, so 70-hour work weeks, I can see doing it every once in a while because you have to. It's a season. You know, farmers go through that. But for the rest of us, let me just tell you something. The, the Sabbath, maybe we saw it as a command, and some of you have rejected it because you don't want to get into being under the law. But the principle is, and I'm getting off here, but the principle of Sabbath is written into creation. It's written into the very ground that we farm. Everything. Everything that doesn't rest breaks down. And that includes you. And I've noticed over the years that people that never rest break down. They hit a certain age in their life and they start to break down. And I've noticed in my own life that when I don't rest, I break down. Just I start to break down. My mind, my body, my heart, my soul. Have you ever noticed how your walk with Christ, if you don't fill it with some times of rest and times of waiting on God and just being at peace and even recreating and enjoying creation and enjoying the gifts of God, have you ever noticed that your spiritual life starts to break down? And you even lose your hunger for God. So that's just a side note. That's free. Um, anyway, back to the message. Uh, so he says, I found that I was overwhelmed with pressure and stress. I was working more than 70 hours a week. My wife would ask me to take a day off, and I, I would say, I can't. I wasn't sleeping at night, and I started to take sleeping pills. When the church was about a year old, I woke up in the night, and I had this strange sense that God was laughing at me. I would be offended with God. How about you? What the heck? And then he says, as I lay in bed, I wondered, why is God laughing at me? It would take five years before I finally got an answer to that particular question. Here's how it happened. 
When we moved into our current house, I saved the heaviest piece of furniture for last, the desk from my office. As I was pushing and pulling the desk, with all my might, my four-year-old son came over and asked if he could help. So together, we started sliding it across the floor. He was pushing and grunting as we inched our way along. After a few minutes, my son stopped pushing, looked up at me, and said, Dad, you're in the way. And then he tried to push the desk by himself. Of course, it didn't budge. And I realized at that moment that he thought he was actually doing all the work instead of me. I couldn't help but laugh. The moment I started laughing at my son's comment, I recalled the middle of the night incident, and I realized why God was laughing at me. I thought I was pushing the desk. I know that's ridiculous, but instead of recognizing God's power and strength, I started to think it all depended on me. And I'm going to tell you this morning, as I get into this message on the power of the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of Christians that I know that are trying to live this life in their own power and their own wisdom. And let me just tell you straight off, not only are you going to fail, not only are you going to get frustrated, but you're actually going to start resenting trying to follow Christ. And you're going to blame it on God. And the reality is, it's you. And the fact that you've taken on something that God didn't design you to take on. This is an impossible life to live in human energy and human wisdom. I'm going to say that again. This is an impossible life to live in human energy and human wisdom. If you think you can follow Christ because you got a strong will, you're going to find how frustrating that can be shortly, and you're going to find that you're ticked off all the time. This is too hard to do. I can't be good. I can't be holy. I can't do what God's called me to do. And you're going to think that God put too much on you. And it's not that God put too much on you. It's that you're counting on yourself. We need the Holy Spirit's power to live as a Christian. Amen? Look at the Apostle Paul here. I find this interesting in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 3 through 5, as he's talking to the church in Corinth. He says to you, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, This is the Apostle Paul, wrote one half of the New Testament, worked in signs and wonders and miracles. There's a place recorded in the book of Acts where they would take uh, handkerchiefs that he prayed over. He prayed over handkerchiefs, and they would send them to people who were demon-possessed and sick. And all they would do is take the handkerchief and apply it to those people, and demons would come out of them, and their bodies would be healed. This is the Apostle Paul that raised dead people and worked in the power of the Spirit. He says to the Corinthians, I came to you in weakness. Now, what if I stood up here, and I I know this is true because I've done it before. What if I stood up here and I confessed to you how weak I am? Some of you would really appreciate it. You'd be like, "I, I can relate to this guy. Others of you would be like, well, that dude's got problems. That's a leadership problem. He shouldn't be weak. Leaders need to be strong. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I came to you in weakness. Oh, listen to the next two words. Timid and trembling. What if I said that to you? Some of you, would your respect for me would be lost at that moment because of my open confession of my weakness, my timidity and my trembling. And yet many of us face those kinds of times in our life. Even the tough ones, even the strong ones, face things that are overwhelming and they're in a position where they almost feel like the ship's going down and if you don't bail me out, God, it's all over. 
Am I talking to anybody? So he says that, and he says, my message and my preaching were very plain. Wow. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Who are you trusting today in your own life? Are you trusting human wisdom? Are you trusting the power of God? See, it's impossible and tiring to try to live the Christian life in your own strength and power. The entire Christian life is lived from the life of God within us. To be a Christian isn't being a good little boy or girl, being moralistic, keeping the rules. It's living by the power of God. It's the powerful life of Jesus himself living out through us. This life comes from the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we're destined to fail against sin and against the dark forces in our world. You think you're going to go up against the the flesh that you battle with? You think you're going to go up against the demonic powers and presence in our world that are influencing the world system and are all around us tempting and pressuring? You think you're going to deal with that just because you're smart or you know a few verses from the Bible? Listen, we're destined to fail without power. Am I talking to anybody? Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll never be able to fulfill our purpose either. Right? When a person truly becomes a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells them and changes them into a new kind of person. It's called being born again. But, however, when you look at the scripture, God has more power for, it, for you, even beyond the new birth, to do the works that fulfill your purpose. God wants to fill you over and over and over again throughout the life of your Christian experience to help you become the person you were created to be. See, we need the Holy Spirit both for personal transformation, but also for empowerment that we might do the works of Jesus. It's got to be both. We, 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 we don't just want personal transformation. We want transformation that turns into a life that actively displays what Jesus is like to a world that's watching us. And if you feel like your life isn't displaying the power of the life of Jesus, that means you need more of the Holy Spirit. Am I... Am I um, maybe stoking a little bit of a hunger in any of you? How many of you want more of God in your life? Come on, church. We should be desperate for God, right? So let's look first at the new birth. And I'm going to move quickly through these because I have way too much material as usual. So the first thing is we have to be born again to even see and enter the kingdom. Look at this conversation Jesus had with this scholar, a member of the Sanhedrin, An incredible mind named Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. It says here, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were the most scholarly of all. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Notice he came after dark because he didn't want to be, you know, he didn't want to be seen with Jesus because he understood that his position on the Sanhedrin would be in jeopardy if he was seen with Jesus. So he goes by night, he meets with Jesus. It says, after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. He said, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence. Notice this. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What a weird answer to Rabbi Nicodemus' statement, right? What a weird answer. What? What? And Nicodemus responds the way you and I would have. You know, we look back on it now and we get it. 
But if we'd been there right then, we'd have been like, what the heck are you talking about? And then he says, what do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can only can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Okay, so the starting point is, is we need the Holy Spirit to give us a whole new nature and to birth something new and fresh within us. In order to be in God's kingdom, you have to be born twice. You have to be born of woman, of water, and you have to be born of spirit. Right? Now, some say that's baptism. I have a tendency to believe he's talking about natural birth. Two births, one, a birth of water that happens when you're born, right? And the second, a birth of, of spirit, you can believe the other way, it's okay, we can debate that later, but the point is, is every human being that's going to see and enter into the kingdom of heaven must be born twice. You must be born of natural birth, obviously, to exist, and you must be born of spirit. Does that, does that make sense? That's what Jesus is saying, right? Nicodemus was a man of deep biblical knowledge. Listen carefully to this. How many of you are knowledge people? You love scripture, you love to learn, you love to dig, and I'm, this is not a criticism, so don't be afraid to raise your hand. Any knowledge people in here, you're people that love to dig. Get in there, get in the text, study, be scholarly. Anybody else? Come on. Yeah, okay, good. A few of you. Yeah, right on. Okay, Nicodemus was a man like you. He was a man of deep biblical knowledge, but that still left him powerless to become the person that he was created to be. He needed to be newly born a second time. He needed a spiritual birth. Without that spiritual birth, it's impossible to see or even live in the kingdom. Knowledge isn't enough. You must be born again. So if you think the Christian life is just, you know, fill your head up with a bunch of Bible scriptures and that will help you. You know, if you study the Bible all the time, you'll have power to beat the devil and to be good and to do what God's created you to do. I want to tell you that's not enough. Knowledge is super important. But if you don't have, as it were, Jesus turning that water of the, of the word inside of you into wine, if you don't have him making it come alive, you, can, you, you can't win. Secondly, Jesus has this gift of the Holy Spirit for us, and this Holy Spirit gives us power. And this power is for those who seek him. Look at Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 and verse 8. Acts 1, 4 and 5 and verse 8. Now, let me tell you what's happened. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again. After he rose again, he began to appear to his disciples. He appeared to them over 40 days, and he preached to them about the kingdom. And what he told them after he appeared to them is, listen, I'm going to go away soon. And when I go away and I go back to heaven and sit at my Father's right hand, I'm going to send you the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the power of the Holy Spirit, and then you can go do what I've called you to do. Now listen, think about this. They had seen the resurrected Christ. The scripture says that Jesus opened their mind to understand the scriptures. You can find that in Luke 24. So they'd seen the risen Christ. Think about what that would do to your life. You, you watched him crucified. Now you've watched him alive for 40 days, he's been showing up out of the blue. You're in a room hanging out with your friends. You're talking, and all of a sudden, whoop, Jesus is there. And you're like, ah! And then he says, don't be afraid. And 
Here's my hands and my feet. And he does this over and over, over 40 days. He's revealing himself to you. And then he opens your mind to understand the scripture. And you, so you understand the scripture. You've seen the resurrected Christ. And yet he says, it's not enough. You can't do what I've called you to do. You can't go out just based on my resurrection and based on the fact that I'm making myself real to you, based on the fact that you can understand the scripture, it's not enough. I want you to wait in the city of Jerusalem until I send the Holy Spirit. So even with knowledge, even with a spiritual understanding of scripture, even with seeing the risen Christ, he said, no, 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 you can imagine. They're like, we want to tell everybody. He's like, nope, wait. Now imagine this. Altogether, they had, after the resurrection, they had to wait 50 days, or after Passover, 50 total days. 50 days. They're chomping at the bit. And the last 10 days, they wait in a room, praying together for 10 days, fasting, seeking the Lord, waiting. What's... He says to wait. I don't know what we're waiting for. He's going to send the Holy Spirit, a comforter. Uh, we don't know if we understand what that's all about, but we, we have to wait. Am I talking to anybody? Look at Acts 1, 4 and 5. He says, once he was eating with them, when he, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, but you will receive power. Can you say power? power. Say it in a really good Pentecostal way. Say Power. There you go. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Samaria, excuse me, in, in, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, two words, and I know many of you have been taught on this before, but two words I want to look at are the words power and witness. Power, the word power is dunamis, or I love how my South African friends say it, dunamis, right? Dunamis. Dunamis power, and, and how, how many of you know that sounds a little bit like dynamite, or dynamic, or dynamo? That's the word. It's the same word. It's the power that we need to live as God designed us to live. This word literally means miraculous power, strength, and dynam, dynam, dynamism. Say that three times fast. Jesus is telling his people that they cannot show the world his life without his power. Knowledge isn't enough right? They'd walked with him for three and a half years. They'd heard his amazing teaching, yet he told them to wait for power to come upon them to help them. So, so think about this. I want you to ask yourself this question. Have you received power? Listen, people debate all the time the Pentecostal experiences. There are second experiences. They're not people that come from maybe a different uh, church background, don't necessarily believe it. They say it's enough when you are born again. But I I'm going to show you in just a minute that there seem to be in the New Testament multiple expressions of infillings of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, they were, there was one time they all gathered together to pray after they'd all been born again, after the day of Pentecost, and as they prayed in a room, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came and shook the room that they were in, and they went out and spoke the word of God boldly. So here's my challenge to you, whether you believe in a second experience or whether you believe in, you know, what, that's what Pentecostals call it, a, a, a second, what's the word? I'm a second, not experience, a second. Anyway, um, whether you believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit after being born again or any of that, I just want to ask you the question, does your life have power? Because that's really the issue. Does your life have power? 
And what I see in the New Testament church is this ongoing expression of power and multiple fillings. And so what God is saying is, I want to fill you over and over again, and I want to give you everything you need to do everything I've called you to do. And what you need to do is not something you can do naturally. It takes supernatural power. Amen. And then the word witness, which is the word martus, which is where we get martyr, and it means a witness, a spectator, one who keeps a record of events and tells them even unto death, where we get the word martyr. We don't have the power to tell and show people Jesus in a way that changes or moves them unless we have power from the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, isn't it funny? A lot of times we get caught up on, and I'm, I'm all for apologetics, but we get caught up in learning apologetics. Apologetics is the ability to defend the Christian faith through reason with the scripture and to argue well and to be able to you know, break down people's um, barriers and resistance to the truth. And we think we just need to learn a bunch of truth and we need to get all the answers. And we, but, but here's the reality. If you got the power of the Holy Spirit, you say Mary had a little lamb. His name was Jesus. He died for you. He rose again. And if the power of the Holy Spirit's upon those words, you're going to be more effective than the person that can answer everyone. And I'm not saying it should be one or the other. It's both. We see that in the New Testament. Paul was a scholar. He wrote a half of the New Testament. He's a great theologian. He's a man of doctrine, a man of learning, a man of what we would call degrees. And yet he never trusted any of that. He said, I count it all as dung for the, the power of the resurrection in my life. Does that make sense? Okay, so that takes me um, to a, a quick study of a person that I want you to notice, and that's Peter, because Peter serves as the greatest example of what can happen to a person when the power of the Holy Spirit shakes their life. See, we're going to look at Peter transformed by the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you um, have ever read about Peter in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Have you ever noticed he was a big talker? You ever notice that when um, there was a moment of pause, you see it throughout the Gospels, right? There's like this, sometimes those moments were supercharged with miraculous events. And then there's a pause. Jesus isn't talking, no one's talking, and Peter's like, and, and maybe you're like that, right? There's the pregnant pause, they call it. And Peter always felt like it was his job to step in and say something. And he had foot and mouth disease. He was always putting his foot in his mouth. Right? And, and what's, what's great about Peter is Peter did miraculous things, and, and Peter, but what's sad about him is he also, because he had a big mouth, he, he was the one who denied he knew Jesus three times. And we see this um, in Luke 22, 33 and 34. It says, Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. What courage, right? But Jesus said, Peter, uh, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And then a little bit later, as Jesus is being taken away to go on trial, Peter's following at a distance, and there's, there's a bunch of people waiting outside in the courtyard, and they, they fire up a, a, a charcoal fire, and they're warming themselves around the fire, and Peter's kind of making his way over there so he can see the trial at a distance, and he's, he's looking at the trial at a distance, and three times, three different people come to him and say, you're one of the Galileans, you were with Jesus, and three times he denies him, he denies him, and the last time he denies him, the scripture says he denies him with a curse, he starts cursing. It's almost like he said, I don't know the damn guy. That's the vernacular he would have used. I don't know him with a curse. And um, so he does all of that. And then it says this. 
in Luke 22, 61 and 62. At that moment, the Lord turned, after he denied him, look at this. This is only recorded in Luke's gospel. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at him. Looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard, weeping bitterly. So here's this man, full of bold courage, full of bravado, thinks he's a man who can stand for Jesus in the moment of pressure and testing. And when the fire comes and when the test comes, he denies three times that he knows him. See, after Jesus, or Peter told Jesus boldly, I'll die with you. He trusted in his own courage and strength. Jesus knew that when the pressure came and evil had its day, that Peter would fail him and deny him. I've heard many people say, listen carefully to this, I've heard many people say, I could die for Jesus. I could take a bullet for Jesus. However, those same people are more devoted to their hobbies, their jobs, their addictions, their politics, or their money than to Jesus. Jesus knows that if we're powerless to live for him, we'll be powerless to die for him. Human courage is never enough. We need Holy Spirit courage. I've had people ask me, could you die for Jesus? And I've told them, I hope so. Well, what's the matter? Don't you have confidence? Where's your faith? Yeah, I'll I'll take a bullet for him right now. Mm, Don't be so hasty. When he tells you to go share Jesus with your neighbor, do you do it? Where's your boldness then? Where's your boldness when he's dealing with you about an issue in your life and you have a hard time letting it go? Right? Remember all the times Jesus dealt with people who had a love of money? He said, go sell all. You know, this isn't a universal thing for everybody, but he saw, he saw what was in people's hearts at times, and he said, go sell everything you, you own and give it to the poor and come and follow me. What was he doing? He was getting to the root and the heart of what they were saying because he understood human bravado. He understood human courage. And I'm going to tell you something, that stuff fails us when the fire is on. The only thing that will give you the ability to stand is the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're here today and I got this, man, I can stand for you, I'll take a bullet. Where are you at in day-to-day obedience with Him? Where are you at in taking up your cross and following Him? Because if you don't have the power to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Him, you're not going to have the power when the fire's on, right? Ooh, I know. I'm talking to myself, too. Some of you looking at me like, what is he talking about? Right? So let me show you something really quick. After this all happens, Peter denies him. Jesus rises from the dead. He meets Peter. One of the first time he meets him with the disciples. This isn't when he reestablishes him, reaffirms him, reordains him. But this is one of the first encounters. Look what it says. Um, Peter receives the Holy Spirit from Jesus, and I believe this is the new birth before the day of Pentecost. Look what it says. John 20, 21 and 22. Again, Jesus, after Jesus rose again, again, Jesus appears to him afterward, and he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the interesting thing is this word receive means to blow up a balloon, infuso. It means to, it means to fill up like a vessel. And does that make sense? 
I know I'm moving fast here. So then next it says, we, we learn that Peter was then clothed with power on Pentecost. Clothed with power, and he went out and he preached boldly. And I want you to see this text because it's really important for, for those that are Pentecostal or charismatic. This is kind of the theme scripture, right? But Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and 37 through 41. So let's look at it quickly because I'm running out of time. But look at this. On the day of Pentecost, which was a feast that Jews engaged in, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages or tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Verse 14, then Peter stepped up after everybody said, what's going on here? There's this commotion. Peter stepped up, stepped forward with the 11 other apostles. He shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. And he launches into the most powerful, save yourselves from this crooked generation, then the Peter said, were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So look at the transformation. Denies Jesus three times, goes, you know, is ashamed of what he's done, and strength went on to be able to stand for him in the moments of testing, be persecuted multiple times, and the scripture says of Peter, think about this, the scripture says of Peter that he had a shadow healing ministry. We learn later in the book of Acts that there's actually a place where people brought the sick and the demon-possessed out in the streets on mats. And as Peter walked by them, his shadow would touch them and they would be healed. Wait, what? Yeah, go read it. It's in there. So are you getting the point? God transforms people. Whether you believe in a second experience and you got, you know, you got issues with speaking in tongues or any of that, let's just set that, that aside right now. Let's set aside evidences and let's ask ourselves this question. And of course, I don't know how to manufacture this. This has got to be the Lord. Let's ask ourselves this question. Do you have power in your life? Both to be the person God's created you to be and to do what he's called you to do. Think about it. After Jesus was crucified, Peter and the disciples were hiding in a room from the authorities. They were ashamed, confused, and afraid of what, what was going to come. Jesus rises from the dead, and they begin a journey toward restoration. You'd think that seeing someone rise from the dead would be enough, but Jesus told them it wasn't. They still needed that same resurrection power to be able to witness of Jesus' death and resurrection. After the power of the Holy Spirit was poured upon Peter and the disciples, they became bold, courageous, and able to heal and restore people. Seeing the risen Christ isn't enough. We even then need the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's what God wants to do today and, and maybe in the days to follow in our lives. God wants us all to receive more power from the Holy Spirit so we can do what he's called us to do. How many of you want that? Amen. So here's, here's what we need to do. I'm not going to go through the scripture text. We don't have time, but here it's really simple. The first thing you have to believe is that God wants to give you his Holy Spirit, not just once. He's in you already and dwelling you, but I'm talking overflowing you, upon you, overfilling you, right? Uh, we, we're not going to just get into semantics. Yes, when you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells you and never leaves you, but there's more. There's an overflowing. There's an expression of power. There's an empowerment to do what he's called you to do. He wants to give you that. Luke eleven thirteen. If sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
right? Ask and receive the Holy Spirit. Lord, I want more of your Holy Spirit power in my life. Whatever that looks like, pour out your Spirit on me. Thirdly, receive prayer to receive the Holy Spirit. The scripture says when Paul the Apostle came to an area with John and they, had, they were followers of Jesus, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. What did, what did they do? They laid hands on them. In Acts chapter 19, verse 6, Paul laid hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, it says. Um, next, let the Holy Spirit use you when he leads. 1 Timothy 4.14 says, Don't neglect the spiritual gift that you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. What's, what's the point there? The point is, is that when the Holy Spirit fills your life, you, kinda, you, you need to make sure that when he calls you to minister, to witness, to flow, you go and you do it. Right? If you want more filling, let what's in you be poured out. Does that make sense? Um, lastly, ask the Lord to fill you daily with the Holy Spirit. You know, I have a regular prayer when we gather together on Sunday morning. We get the team up here. I always ask the Lord, Lord, we're here right now. Fill us all up and pour us out. Fill us all up and pour us out. Because you know what? I don't want people in this church. To, we're a church family. I don't want our sound man, Matt, uh, uh, operating in his own wisdom and strength. I don't want our cafe people just doing their own thing, their own energy, their own ability. I want our children's workers to be full of the Holy Spirit. I want those who are working with our kids to be full of the Holy Spirit. Our ministry team people, they need to be full of the Holy Spirit because God's going to give them words of knowledge, words of wisdom, gifts of healing, gifts of miracles, gifts of prophecy, word of knowledge. He's going to give them those things. And so I'm saying, Lord, fill us all up with your Spirit and then pour us out. Fill us up, pour us out. Fill us up, pour us out on the service of your people. Amen. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. 